We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Tide Around Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay. I'm here to finally, finally bring you a podcast on the Atlanta Braves. And I apologize, this has been so long coming. I did not do my normal season preview, and I have not really podcasted the Braves for a reason that I'll explain in just a second. If you do the show, please make sure to like and subscribe. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can email us, tideronsports at gmail.com. So, the Braves are having an absolutely phenomenal year, and truthfully, I've wanted to do podcasts on the Braves at several points during the season. But the issue is that I feel like all the things that I wanted to talk about were the obvious low-hanging fruit stories that everybody's talking about. How good Ronald Acuna has been. The Braves' historic home run hitting offense. The Braves having eight All-Stars and having a chance to set a major league record for home runs. Those are the things that are on top of my mind because they've been relevant to what the Braves are doing. And yet I feel like those stories are kind of boring because they've been overdone. So I've been waiting to kind of latch on to something that I feel like a lot of people aren't talking about. And I finally have my story. I want to talk to you about the Braves bullpen. Which, in and of itself, I know you're like, well, David, a lot of people talk about the Braves bullpen. But I'm going to bring you a unique perspective on the Braves bullpen that I promise you're not going to get anywhere else. So, for most of this year, the Braves have had one of the best bullpens in baseball. And that kind of has gone under the radar. And that feels weird to say when you think about what the Braves did at the start of the season. Rysa Iglesias was out. Tyler Matzik was lost for the year. And A.J. Minner was struggling badly. And despite the very rocky start of the year the Braves bullpen had... They have rounded into the form to become one of the top four bullpens, arguably one of the top two bullpens in all of Major League Baseball. The top four bullpens in baseball are, in some order, Baltimore, Atlanta, San Francisco, and Seattle. Probably with Baltimore being, I think most people would argue, probably the most effective bullpen. But the Braves ranks in these stats that I think actually matter. Fourth in strikeouts per nine innings, which is so important for relievers because so often they come in with runners on base and with runners on base, even ground balls and fly balls can advance the runners that are currently out there on the base pass, whereas strikeouts stop innings. The Braves bullpen has the lowest walk rate of any bullpen in baseball, which is huge. They are second in the percentage of stranded runners, stranding 73.3% of inherited runners, which is a great number. And they are number one in baseball in ERA, number two in FIP, which is field independent pitching, basically saying, it's ERA with fielding taking out of it. And they're second in all baseball in war. So no matter how you slice it up, this is probably the second, at worst, fourth best bullpen in baseball. And again, it's kind of gone under the radar because none of the Braves relievers are really having dominant seasons, with the exception of Jesse Chavez, who was having the best season of his career and was probably going to be an all-star before he got hurt in June. But Rysel Iglesias isn't having a career year. A.J. Minter hasn't had a career year. And instead of the Braves having three or four just absolutely shut down arms, they've instead had a bunch of guys that have just done really solid jobs relatively consistently. And it also does help that more often than not in the Braves bullpen, you're coming in to pitch with the lead. And so if you don't give up three or four runs, you're probably walking out with a hold or a save. Now, what's interesting, if you were to ask most Braves fans what the best bullpen has been in the recent run since Brian Snicker took over, they'd probably tell you that it was a 2021 night shift bullpen, which led us, obviously, to a world championship. 
What's interesting is that the numbers from this year's bullpen blow away at the night shift bullpen. They're not even close. That 2021 bullpen ranked somewhere between 12th and 14th in Major League Baseball in all of the important stats. It was a better-than-average bullpen, but not an elite bullpen. But what we remember about them is the late-season surge they made and the absolutely just absurd postseason they put together. And a lot of this was driven by Tyler Matzik and A.J. Minter just having absolutely ridiculous career-defining three-month stretches at the same time. I believe A.J. Minter went through the entire month of August with a zero ERA. It was just stupid. And him and Tyler Matzik were both striking out something like 13 or 14 batters per nine innings on average. So they both simultaneously put together the best three-month runs of their career. And then Will Smith inexplicably gets body snatched by some good relief pitcher and decides to turn into Mariana Rivera in the postseason and goes zero blown saves with an ERA of 0.0. So you remember what that bullpen did the last third of the season, and it makes you feel like that bullpen was great the entire year. Truthfully, they weren't. So the long and short of it is that this Braves bullpen is better than that one. It At least it, it was. Um, the Braves are like hemorrhaging bullpen depth. We are losing guys at an alarming rate. Jesse Chavez has been out for almost a month now. A.J. Minter just went out earlier this week, and Dylan Lee just went out. And... We don't have clear timetables for the return of any of these guys. The Braves currently have one experienced lefty in the bullpen. That's Lucas Lutke, who isn't very good, until Minter returns, whenever that is. And the Braves desperately need to find high-leverage relievers and or another lefty power arm. So, I'm here to fix it. I've scoured the Major League Baseball rosters and created a list of gettable, valuable relievers that could help shore up the Braves' bullpen. I'm looking to get preferably two maybe three, but more than likely two, because this is what the Braves have done in the past. And when I was looking at the guys that I think would be a good fit for the Braves, this is how I kind of narrowed down to the ones that I ended up on. So they need to be pitchers on losing teams. With the extra wild card spot this year, there's a lot of teams that are still in contention for a playoff spot. And so kind of like with the NBA's play-in tournament, there are going to be teams that in the past would have been looking to trade off pieces that are now going to keep good players because they are still in contention. An example of this is the Cincinnati Reds, who are a 500 team, but because the NL Central is so bad, they're only two games out of first place. So they have a reliever that I think would be great, but they're not going to be looking to sell because they're trying to win their division. So I was looking for teams that are kind of out of the division race or the wildcard race, and I was looking for high strikeout rates because, again, that's so important for relievers. Because of what we talked about earlier, a decent walk rate, which again, among a lot of relievers, walk rates aren't great. That's why a lot of them aren't starters. In a very good fit, which indicates that, hey, this person doesn't rely on good defense to rescue them. They can get strikeouts and avoid walks and home runs. And I pretty much ignored ERA because ERA is super deceptive with relievers. You can have a reliever with a low ERA because they allow inherited runners to score, but don't necessarily allow their own runs to score. I'm um, thinking back to the 2000 odds and Ray King. And you can have a reliever who gives up one really, really bad outing that skyrockets their ERA to the point where it can't recover because they simply don't have enough innings to bring it back down. I'll never forget John Smoltz way back when he was a close for the Braves early in the season had an inning where he gave up, I think it was eight runs to the New York Mets, eight or nine runs, and his ERA stayed elevated the rest of the year. He couldn't get it down much lower than like the high threes or the mid threes, even though he was dominant the rest of the year. 
So because of the really low number of innings a lot of pitchers get out of the bullpen, you know, somewhere between 40 and 60 innings, and if you're a really elite reliever, you get up to 80, they just don't have enough innings to bring a high ERA back down. So ERA is something that I just don't pay a lot of attention to. FIP and left on base percentage were super helpful. We're looking at people that the Braves should target. So those are kind of the ones that I looked at. FIP, left on base percentage, strikeout rate, walk rate. Those are the kind of things I looked at, and then whether or not this person was on a good team. So I hope that makes sense. So with that said, here's the list of targets that I had for the Braves. Matt Brash, a right-handed reliever from Seattle. David Bednar, a right-handed reliever from Pittsburgh. Aaron Bummer from the Chicago White Sox. Gregory Santos from the Chicago White Sox. Paul Seawald from the Seattle Mariners. And Chris Stratton from the St. Louis Cardinals. That's my list. Every one of these guys is a reliever on a losing team that averages over a strikeout per inning and has a FIP under three. A couple of them in Brash and Bummer have questionable uh, walk rates, but their strikeout rates are really high. Bummer's is 11 per, per nine inning, and Brash's is 15.7 per nine inning, which is just absurd. So the walk rates are a little high, but they make up, make up for it with punch outs. Also, with the exception of Bummer, all the guys that I just mentioned have a left on base rate of 70% or higher. So again, they strand runners, which is a really important thing because you're talking about high leverage situations. They're probably coming in to save the game. Now, the one downside of the guys I just mentioned is that all but one of them are right-handed pitchers. So out of the five or six I just listed for you, I'm going to narrow it down to my three and tell you why I think the Braves should go after these three and what I think they would bring to our team. So my number one choice would be Matt Brash, who's a reliever for Seattle. He's worked 39 innings this year. He's averaging 15.7 strikeouts per nine innings, uh, 3.7 walks per, per nine innings, which is a little higher than you'd like. He stranded almost 75% of runners this year. And his ERA is 3.23, but his FIP is 1.75, which is the third best among any reliever in baseball. And um, he's got a really high war for a reliever at 1.3. And in short, Brash is 25 years old. He throws gas, gets up to triple digits, and he's very effective. His ERA has improved every month, and so far in the month of July, he hasn't given up a run. So throw him in there as like your eighth inning setup guy for Iglesias, and you're locking down the last two innings of the game. So he's at the top of my wish list. Right behind Brash would be David Bednar, who's the closer for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's like been one of the best closers in baseball, low-key, but nobody realizes it because Pittsburgh's awful. So he's got 18 saves in the year, and he's worked 38 innings. He's had 37 appearances. He's got a strikeout per nine innings of 10.89 and only 1.66 walks per nine innings. And he's only given up one home run this entire year and 30 innings worked. So his ERA is 1.18 and his FIP is 1.76. So those two together tell you that this guy has been a truly, truly dominant pitcher. If you like the old whip stat, his whip is less than one, which means he doesn't allow a lot of base runners. So again, plug him in as your setup guy in front of Iglesias or if Iglesias is struggling, bump Bednar to the back end of your bullpen, and you get another gas-throwing stud to help lock down your high-leverage situations. Now, my next one's going to be a little bit controversial, but Aaron Bummer is a left-handed reliever for the Chicago White Sox. He's appeared in 38 games, worked 33 innings. He's got a strikeouts per nine innings of 11.3. His walk rate is high at 4.5 per nine innings, meaning he does allow a lot of base runners. He's only stranded 47% of his runners on base, and he's got an ERA of seven. So, of course, if you go look up his numbers, you're going to be asking me, but they, why in the world would we want a guy with a seven ERA who has a high walk rate? Well, here's two reasons. 
A, he strikes people out, and B, he is the only lefty on this list. And even though he has an ERA of 7.02, he has an expected ERA of 3.1 and a FIP of 2.39. So, in short, this is what that means. This guy, who, by the way, has not given up a home run this entire year, has been extraordinarily unlucky as far as batted balls in play. So, in his 38 appearances, he's had 27 scoreless outings. But in the other 11 outings, he surrendered 27 runs. So, a perfect example of what his season has been like is that on July 6th, which is his worst outing of the year, he gave up six runs, five of them earned, in one-third of an inning. In that outing, he didn't walk a single batter, and he didn't give up a fly ball. He gave up five ground ball hits, and an error behind him cost him a big inning. And so, what his FIP tells us, because, I mean, FIP is field independent pitching is, this guy has been unlucky. And again, just in case you're not familiar with FIP, what it's supposed to essentially isolate is any batted ball in play. FIP is saying, what does this pitcher do in regards to strikeouts, walks, and home runs, the things that a pitcher can control? So FIP is built with the idea that batted balls are very, very unpredictable, especially ground balls. So you can have an inning where a guy hits a 14 hopper with an exit velo of 65 miles per hour that finds space under the glove of your shortstop and between the second baseman and ends up being a hit. And you might have an inning where teams string together two or three of those hits where there's no hard contact, and yet because the pitcher just gets unlucky with where the balls are hit, his ERA is going to show that he gave up three runs. FIP tries to account for that by saying, since the location of where balls are hit isn't necessarily predictable and within the pitcher's control, it's going to look at the outcomes the pitcher can control. And so while some pitchers may throw a really heavy sinker that induces a lot of weak contact and leads to a lot of ground balls, meaning they are very reliant on their defense, they're going to have a FIP that is higher than their ERA. Their ERA is going to outperform their FIP. But in some cases, like in the case of Bummer, he's been really unlucky, and he's given up ground balls that just aren't getting fielded or turning into hits, when if he had average luck, they would be out, and his ERA would be much, much lower. If you were to put him on a team that had maybe an elite shortstop and elite second baseman defensively, they might be making these plays, these ground balls, and these hits might turn into outs, meaning this pitcher is actually pitching effectively, but he's just unlucky. So this is what that all means. So Bummer's not a perfect candidate. His walk rate's too high, but it's the simple fact that he strikes people out and he's left-handed, and he's really pitched in a way that outperforms his ERA. He could be the guy that you come in to get out of a jam in the 6th or 7th inning because he doesn't give up home runs, and if he doesn't walk somebody, he's probably going to strike them out. So he'd be a great fit in the bullpen, and he would also give you another lefty to pair with Mentor when Mentor gets back. So those are my top three. I'm going to throw in a bonus one for you, and that's Paul Seawald from Seattle, who's Seattle's closer. He's got 19 saves. He's pitched in 40 games and gotten 38 innings. He's striking out 13.27 batters per nine innings and walking 2.79. So that's like a 6-to-1 ratio, which is really, really good. And he's got an ERA of 3.03 and a FIP of 2.61. Now, like most power pitchers, Seawald is a fly ball pitcher. Only 31% of his uh, outs come by ground balls, but his strikeout rate is high. He stranded 70% of the runners on base, and his strikeout rate in the month of July, and this is going to sound like a made-up number, he's averaging over 18 strikeouts per nine innings in the month of July. He's striking out over two players in an inning, which is insane. It literally sounds like a made-up number. But again, if you weren't able to get Bednar or Brash, he'd be someone that you could throw in as a setup guy in front of Iglesias that could really lock down 
the eighth inning and pave the way for Iglesias. Or you can alternate right and lefty with him and Mentor in that role once Mentor's back. So, I just gave you a list of four youngish believers that I think would provide a massive boost to Atlanta's bullpen. And my hope is that they can get at least two of these guys before the trade deadline. Preferably Bummer just because he's a left-hander. And then one of the three of Brash, Bednar, and Seawald, with Brash being my first choice. So with the trade down a week away, we're going to check back and see if I was right on who the Braves target. And if we get one of these guys, see if I was right on their effectiveness and their ability to help stabilize a bullpen that is just bleeding out healthy pitchers. And the truth is, with the Braves lineup being as good as it has been, if the bullpen maintains the success we've seen all throughout this year in the playoffs, it is very, very difficult to see any other result from the Braves winning the World Series. This has been David Thay for the Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.